I'd invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 1 in the Old Testament. So we continue in our series, Great Stories from God's Word. Today the message is entitled, Rejoice in the Lord. The book of Samuel covers the period of Israel's history from the conception of Samuel to the end of King David's reign. And we're going to learn today about a woman named Hannah, who while she was heartbroken and burdened and cried out to the Lord with the pain in her heart, she was even still a person whose faith was clear and certain and resolute. The name Hannah means favor or grace. It's favor or grace because she found favor in the sight of the Lord. I'm thankful today that we can find favor in the sight of the Lord through Jesus our Savior. Hannah was one of the two wives of a man named Elkanah. He was a bigamist, which was forbidden by God in the original order of marriage. But this is the record of what his life was like. Not only was Hannah his wife, but there was also another wife named Peninnah who had children, and Hannah did not. Hannah was grieved and deeply sorrowed desperately wanting a child. She was taunted by the other wife when she would come up for the time of worship because she was barren and didn't have a child. And Elkanah was kind to her, but yet the burden was still great for Hannah. So Hannah promised the Lord in prayer that if she would would bear a son and he would give her the gift of having a son, that she would dedicate this son essentially as a Nazarite. A Nazarite was to be set apart to serve God all the days of his life. There were specific stipulations about what the life of a Nazarite would be like. And it's interesting that this story is often presented along the line something like this. Just follow the logic with me for a moment, if you will. Hannah didn't have a child. She made a commitment to the Lord that he would give her one. She would dedicate that child to the Lord. God gave her a child. Therefore, the logic is, if you don't have something, you can pray for it, dedicate it to the Lord, and you'll for sure get it. Now, it is true that that's what God did in this circumstance, and he did it for his honor and glory. That may be true of circumstances in your life, but the greater message here is that we can rejoice in the circumstances of life, regardless of what is going on. We can trust God in the midst of them and bring glory to him as a result because God is a loving, faithful God who is trustworthy in all that he does. So what I want to show you in these few moments that we have together are several ways that you can rejoice in the Lord from this account of Hannah's life. And the first is this, you can rejoice in the Lord by giving yourself to God. You can rejoice in the Lord by giving yourself to God. We pick up reading in chapter 1 and verse 9. On one occasion, Hannah got up after they ate and drank at Shiloh. The priest Eli was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. Deeply hurt, Hannah prayed to the Lord and wept with many tears. So here's Eli, the priest, sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's tabernacle. His observation and his discussion with Hannah that follows really reflect a sincerity of receiving what she's saying in the petition 
that she made to God. He does not outright rebuke her, though at first he is confused by what's going on. In fact, he commends her in what she's asking of God. But the picture that we find of Hannah is one of sorrow and desperation to the Lord. She is expressing the hurt in her heart because of the circumstance that she found herself in. And when we come to the Lord, if we come to him in sorrow and desperation, God already knows what's on our heart. And it's okay to let the Lord know if something is painful and you're dealing with a difficult circumstance. She's pouring out her soul before God in a way that is described as a burdened praying. She's weeping with many tears that are expressing her emotion to the Lord. But she presented herself to the Lord. So understand that the primary issue was not barrenness and birth. The primary issue at hand was the need, the importance of submitting to God, and the significance of trusting God with whatever the results might be. In those days of worship, as they would go up to the place of worship, they would bring a sacrifice. In fact, the Mosaic law required a sacrifice. Those sacrifices were without end from an earthly perspective until the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, gave himself as the once and for all sacrifice. And those sacrifices that they offered were the foreshadowing or the precursor of what was to come in Jesus, pointing forward to that ultimate sacrifice. When we come to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul instructs us that we are to, by the mercies of God, present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, the idea of us, me, you, being a living sacrifice is a striking one because it's the idea that we are yielding ourselves to God We are surrendering to him, and it is for the continuous duration of our lives. Now, the Bible says that we are to keep on being filled with the Spirit. So when I wake up each day, I am to yield myself to God as a living sacrifice. It's a continual offering of God, of surrender to him, knowing that he is going to work through us. It's also important to note here that Hannah was in the particular situation that she was in without a child, Because the Lord brought it about. That's what the scripture indicates. Sometimes, even if we cannot understand the mystery of God's will, the given predicament that we find ourselves in is not an accident. It could, in fact, be directly because of the providence of God. At a minimum, it's because we're living in a sin-fallen and broken world where things are torn apart and the needs are great and the only way that we can be brought back to God is through the redemption that we have in Christ. But what we need to learn to do as people of faith is to look beyond the problem and try to see the providence of what God is doing. So the question we must ask ourselves is, is our faith in the Lord? And if our faith is in the Lord, are we completely trusting him? Are we holding back? Are we fully yielded to him? Is this a daily desire of ours that we would be surrendered to his lordship over our lives? 
you can rejoice in the Lord by giving yourself to God. The second way that you can rejoice is you can rejoice in the Lord by giving your best to God. We pick back up reading in verse 11. Making a vow, she pleaded, Lord of armies, if you'll take notice of your servant's affliction, remember and not forget me and give your servant a son, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and his hair will never be cut. That again is part of that Nazarite vow. While she continued praying in the Lord's presence, Eli watched her mouth. Hannah was praying silently, and though her lips were moving, her voice could not be heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to be drunk? Get rid of your wine. No, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman with a broken heart. I haven't had any wine or beer. I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. Don't think of me as a wicked woman. I've been praying from the depth of my anguish and resentment. Eli responded, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant the request you've made of him. May your servant find favor with you, she replied. Then Hannah went on her way. She ate and no longer looked despondent. Hannah made a vow to the Lord. The child would already be a Levite if, in fact, she was granted this gift. He would be a part of that tribe and he would be dedicated to the Lord as part of that service from the time that he was 30 until the time that he was 50. But she's making a broader promise here to God that this child would be his all the days of his life. She is consecrating, in a sense, something that already belonged to the Lord and giving to the Lord again in a greater consecration. You understand, in reality, this is what we do when we give anything to God. Our hands are empty on our own. The only things that we have, whether it be ourselves and our own life or our dedication or the treasures and the talents and the time that we have in this life, they've all come from God. So it's actually impossible to give to God something that doesn't already belong to God. But in an act of consecration, what we're saying is, Lord, we recognize that everything that is good has come from you, and we want to give our very best to you. As Christians, we're already dedicated and we're set apart. But is there something greater to which you need to be dedicated and committed? It comes down to the heart question. Is there anything in my life that I'm holding back from God? Am I holding out from God something that belongs to him? And are you giving your very best? You see, I think that's something that we have to evaluate as we go along in life. We have to think about the things that the Lord has entrusted to us. We have to test our motives and why we do what we do and why we don't do what we don't do and whether or not we're giving it all over to the Lord. The reference here is to the Lord of armies. Did you notice that? Your translation might say the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies is referenced 300 times in the Bible. And when God is spoken of as the Lord of armies or the Lord of hosts, what it's referring to is the infinite resources and power that God possesses. It's pointing to the fact that God fights on behalf of his people, that God guards his people, that he goes ahead of his people, that he is the rear guard to his people. 
And that should be a relief to us because too often we find ourselves in the predicament of life and we try to fight our own battles. We try to find our own solutions. We try to solve our own problems. And inevitably, as has been the case in my life many times, when I try to fight my own battles and solve my own problems and be my own solution, I only create greater problems for myself rather than solving the problem that I needed to solve or win the battle that I needed to win to begin with. And one of the most difficult things for us as we give our best to God is to be willing to stand down and say, Lord, this is your battle. This is a problem and I need you to act on my behalf. And we come to him and we plead to him and we say, Lord, you're the, you're the Lord of armies. You're the Lord of hosts. And it's in you that I put my trust. Eli, the priest saw her praying and mistook her distress for drunkenness. Scripture says that she continued praying in verse 12, literally as she multiplied to pray. See, all we have recorded in her prayers is a portion of it. In fact, she goes silent somewhere here along the way, and Eli's not even sure what's going on. This reminds me of how the Holy Spirit of God intercedes for us with groanings. Even when we don't know the words that we need to say, the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. He helps us pray as we need to pray, and she's pouring out her heart to God. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was in Southeast Asia. I left at the first part of the year, and on my flight over, I had arrived in Seoul, South Korea, and had boarded a plane for Chiang Mai, Thailand. Door to door from my house to where I was going was about 30 hours, and as you might imagine, after I had been on a plane from Atlanta to Seoul, Uh, South Korea for 15 and a half hours and yet boarded another plane, I was not thinking as clearly as I might possibly think. So I drifted off to sleep there in my seat and uh, somewhere in my sleeping I heard words and the words that I heard included the name Jesus. And I heard Jesus more than once. And, And there's somebody that's crying out to Jesus in the darkness as they had turned the lights down on the plane. And at first I thought I was dreaming. And I looked to my right, two seats ahead, and there was a Korean woman sitting up against the window. She had her head over against the window. She had her hands like this, and she's crying out to God. I don't know exactly what she was praying, but I want to tell you, she was pouring out her heart to the Lord. If you know anything about 20th century Christianity in Korea, you know that there was a great awakening among those people and many many people came to faith in Jesus Christ they were known and still are known for their praying now unfortunately as so often happens the generation that followed is not living with as much fervor as the generation that went before but even so there are many faithful faithful followers of Jesus in South Korea and she's praying there and I'm thinking As I read this account of Hannah, this is much like what I heard on that plane. This woman who is groaning and crying out to the Lord of armies. And Hannah says to to Eli, I have a broken heart. And I've been pouring out my heart before the Lord. I've not been drinking. And he says to her, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant the petition you've requested from him. So Hannah did. She ate. She was no longer despondent. She had received 
the promise of faith as she had surrendered her very best to God. Are you giving your best to God? Is your rejoicing revealed in the fact that you're giving back to him what belonged to him to begin with? Then there's a third way that we can rejoice. You can rejoice in the Lord by giving your worship to God. Let's pick back up reading in verse 19. The next morning, Elkanah and Hannah got up early to worship before the Lord. Afterward, they returned home to Ramah. Then Elkanah was intimate with his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. After some time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel because she said, I requested him from the Lord. When Elkanah and all his household went up to make the annual sacrifice and his vow offering to the Lord, Hannah did not go and explained to her husband, after the child is weaned, I'll take him to appear in the Lord's presence and to stay there permanently. Her husband Elkanah replied, do what you think is best and stay here until you've weaned him. May the Lord confirm your word. So Hannah stayed there and nursed her son until she weaned him. When she had weaned him, she took him with her to Shiloh as well as a three-year-old bull, half a bushel of flour, and a clay jar of wine. Though the boy was still young, she took him to the Lord's house at Shiloh. Then they slaughtered the bull and brought the boy to Eli. Please, my Lord, she said, as surely as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I pray for this boy, and since the Lord gave me what I asked him for, I now give the boy to the Lord. For as long as he lives, he is given to the Lord. Then he worshiped the Lord there. Or your translation might say, then they worshiped the Lord there. Now mark this down. Hannah worshiped first in anticipation of the promise of God. This is a very important point. Don't miss this. Genuine worship focuses on God as the giver before it focuses on the gift that God gives. Let me say that again. Genuine worship focuses on God as the giver before it focuses on the gift that God will give. Verse 20 says, after some time, the birth did not happen right away. Obviously, there might have even been a more interlude of time here from the time that she prayed until she conceived. But Whatever the time was, she ultimately gives birth to a son, and she names him Samuel because I requested him from the Lord. Elkanah and the rest of the family made their journey to make the annual sacrifice and the offering, and Hannah stayed behind until the time came for Samuel to be weaned, and then she would take him up to present him to the Lord in worship. Worship is mentioned again in verse 28. The scripture indicates in Hebrews chapter 12 that we are to serve God with reverence and with godly fear. So true worship recognizes who God is. True worship ascribes worth to God. It's already his, but we are simply reflecting and recognizing the worth that is God's alone. He is the one who is just and perfect and powerful and loving. So I say to you today, true worship is treasuring the worship, the, the, the worth of God and the worthiness of God above anything else. It's knowing that God is worthy of our worship. True worship is defined by the priority that we place on God in our lives and where God is on our list of priorities. So let me say this as 
plainly as I possibly can. We worship God because he is God. And that's enough. We worship God because of who he is. He is worthy and deserving of the praise that we would ascribe to him. And then all the good things that come from his hand are then shown to us as a result of who he is in his character. Samuel would be faithful to the Lord as a man who was dedicated to God. In his adulthood, he would act as the role of a judge in the life of Israel. He would serve as what we might refer to as a prototype of the prophets who would come. And his role in worship and rule and prophecy and justice would be profoundly important in the life of Israel. So yes, God blessed this woman with a child. But even in that, she saw that he was to be dedicated to the Lord because God had a greater purpose. Do you see in the gifts that God has entrusted to you that he has a greater purpose in those? Do you understand that God is not expecting us to be a reservoir? He's expecting us to be a river of his blessing? Do you understand that what God puts in our hand is to be used for his glory? It's not to be used simply for our selfish desires or for our good alone, although we greatly benefit. It is to be used for his glory. And what follows in chapter 2 is a prayer of worship to the Lord. It has some similarities with the Magnificat of Mary in uh, the Gospel of Luke. And it's a reminder to us of all that God has done on behalf of his people. We pick up reading in chapter 2 and verse 1. Hannah prayed, My heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is lifted up by the Lord. My mouth boasts over my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. And there is no rock like our God. Do not boast so proudly or let arrogant words come out of your mouth. For the Lord God is a God of knowledge and actions are weighed by him. The bows of the warriors are broken, but the feeble are clothed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are starving hunger no more. The woman who is childless gives birth to seven, but the woman with many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and gives life. He sends some down to Sheol, and he raises others up. The Lord brings poverty and gives wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the trash heap. He seats them with noblemen and gives them a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the world on them. He guards the steps of his faithful ones, but the wicked perish in darkness. For a person does not prevail by his own strength. Now verse 10, those who oppose the Lord will be shattered. He will thunder in the heavens against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give power to his king. He will lift up the horn of his anointed. Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy served the Lord in the presence of the priest Eli. Hannah prays because of the salvation of the Lord. Hannah prayed and gave the warning to the proud about the Lord's humbling. Hannah prayed and she affirmed the Lord's faithful care of her saints But the most significant aspect of Hannah's prayer is found 
in verse 10. In verse 10, she closed out her prayer with the announcement that the Lord would give strength to his king and lift up the horn of his anointed. Mark this down. This is the first reference in the Old Testament to an individual being the anointed one. And the one who is referenced here is none other than the Messiah, Jesus. It's in anticipation of his coming. It is in anticipation of the promise. So here's my thought that I want to close with this morning. God is sovereign and he can be trusted. God is sovereign and he can be trusted. If you anchor your life down in God and you say, God, I can trust you whether I'm on the mountaintop of blessing or I'm in the valley of despair. In all things, you can be trusted. And if that's your attitude, that you see the glory of God and you see that God is sovereign over all of his creation, you understand that not one purpose of God will be thwarted in your life, in his kingdom, or in eternity, then it'll take away the anxiety of circumstance. And it'll give you the peace that surpasses all understanding. Whatever the problems of life are that we face, we should look to the grace of God and rejoice. If God is sovereign and can be trusted, then we should give ourselves to him. We should give our best to him. We should give our worship to him as an act of rejoicing. If you're familiar with missions, you have undoubtedly heard this story that I close with. On Tuesday, January the 3rd of 1956, Jim Elliott and four other missionaries landed on a small strip of land in the jungles of Ecuador. It was a dangerous landing. For years, they had been dreaming of and praying about and planning for this very moment that was before them. Their hearts were set on reaching the Aka Indians with the good news of Jesus. The Aka's were a notoriously dangerous tribe. No one had reached them before. Some had exchanged gifts, but the Aukas had always attacked them. So for three months in preparation, the missionaries flew over this area and they would drop gifts and they would shout greetings and they would try to express that they were coming in peace until finally they landed. And when they landed, they put together a little makeshift hut and they waited for the Aukas to come to them. Now they full well knew the dangers. Their wives had discussed the possibility of becoming widows. Elizabeth Elliot, the wife of Jim Elliot, says they went simply because they knew that they belonged to God and they had no choice other than to obey him. And on Friday, January the 6th, three Aukas, one man and two women, approached them. They exchanged greetings. The missionaries showed them some yo-yos and some balloons and some other things that they had brought with them and even took the one man up in the plane. And on Sunday, January the 8th, they were due to radio in at 4.30. And there was silence. When no message came, they sent out a plane and a rescue party to find them. And when they got there, what they found were the bodies of these missionaries who had been lanced to death. All five had been martyred for the sake of Christ. All were married. Four were fathers. One wife was pregnant. And Jim Elliot is famous for having said before he was killed, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Elizabeth Elliot, by the grace of God, would ultimately go back and serve for two years 
among these very people as a missionary, even though her husband had been killed by their tribe. She later returned to the United States, and if you followed any of her writings or or teaching, became very well known, particularly teaching and writing on the subject of missions and suffering. And in her book, Suffering is Never for Nothing, which I would highly recommend you pick up a copy of and read, Suffering is Never for Nothing by Elizabeth Elliot. She wrote this, Whatever is in the cup that God is offering to me, whether it be pain and sorrow and suffering and grief, along with the many more joys, I'm willing to take it because I trust him. Friends, we don't know what cup is going to be offered to us. Regardless of what that cup is, our lives are filled with great blessings simply by knowing God and having eternal life and knowing that our eternity is secure. And we experience many blessings in the here and now. But you know what so often happens to us? When things don't break our way, even if we've been blessed a thousand times over otherwise, all we can see is the problem at hand. When that problem at hand comes, we must pray to the Lord, pour out our heart to him, let him know where we are, ask for an answer, and in the end, whatever the answer is, we trust him. And the reason that we trust him is because he is sovereign and all that he does for his children is for our ultimate good. Let's bow our heads together just for a moment as we pray. Father, I'm thankful for this story from the life of Hannah. You so graciously provided for her and she found favor in your sight. But Lord, what I see in this woman's life is that even though she was broken by her situation, her faith was resolved It was strong, it was certain, even before she made the request. And Lord, I have an idea that had that request not been answered in the way that it was, her faith would have still been focused and certain. Lord, you know where our heart is. You know where our level of faith is. You know whether or not we yield ourselves to you. You know whether or not we're giving our best or we're holding back. And you know of our lives are characterized by worship. And I pray that we would worship you because you are God. And that would be enough. And then whatever good thing comes from your hand, we'd see it as a great blessing. So Lord, now as we come toward the end of this service, I'm grateful that we don't have to anticipate the first coming of the Messiah, the Anointed One. We can look back and see that not only did he come... But he gave his life for us, was crucified and raised. And now what we anticipate is his return. Lord, I pray if there be anybody in this building today that has not yielded their life to Christ in repentance and faith, that now would be the time that they would say yes to Jesus, turning from their sin and turning to the Savior. 
And Lord, we would rejoice with the angels in heaven if even one sinner repented. Thank you for grace. Thank you for Jesus. And we give this time of close over to you. Lord, maybe there's somebody burdened here by a circumstance of life. They're weighed down by it. Their hearts are heavy. Maybe somebody needs to just lift up that need to you and say, Lord, give me an answer. And in that answer, I'm going to trust you. And I pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.